I really just want somebody who's going to aggressively fight for me in court. Is that too much to ask? Filing an eviction should not be complicated. There's got to be an easier way. Nothing frustrates me more than having to wait for my attorney to call me back. I need them now. What I really need from my law firm is someone who can provide my staff training so we actually can stay out of trouble. When you have property management problems, we have your solutions. This is the Zona Law Group podcast with the experienced attorneys from Zona Law. And we are back here today with the Zona Law podcast. I am Mark Zinman, joined here today with... Scott Williams. Scott, thank you for being here as always. If you could, for the people that were not with Williams and Parham that may have been Kogemeyer clients or maybe just new clients to the podcast as well, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. Just to let you know, I've been in the business for 30 years representing property managers for that time. Uh, we've done hundreds of thousands of evictions. We've gone through just about every possible scenario, and we find ourselves even in a new situation with the COVID. What? <laughs> that is the funniest part about it. You say you've been in through every scenario before. Ever seen anything like this? Well, not really, but uh, it's new challenges, you know, but you see kind of the same problems that we've seen in the past. It's just a little bit different. And I think that's kind of why we want to obviously have here today, which is common mistakes that we see from landlords, things that have been done, you know, new managers come on board, or maybe you get rusty on some of the old things. It's really just the basics we want to go through today, you know, five common mistakes we see, but how COVID then impacts that and how managers are supposed to handle it. Right. It's a little different environment. We see a little bit more stress from the managers. And so they react a little bit differently when perhaps they shouldn't be. All right. So we are obviously here today together. Anything you want? Six feet apart. We are, <laughs> you know, uh, we're trying to keep our social distancing. And uh, obviously the managers out there are doing kind of the same thing. They're evaluating how they do things in apartments and, and negotiate with tenants, how do they set up business hours? How do they get people's payments? All those kind of things. Yeah, and it's important to realize that obviously we have social distancing here in the state. We're trying to do it. Obviously, a law firm is an essential service. So we're allowed to be there. We will always be there for our zone of clients in terms of giving them the advice they need as it comes out. Um, but there's certain things that we just have to be in the office for as well, correct? Right. Yeah, we have to be in the office. We have to make court appearances. Right now we're doing most of them by phone, but we still have some in-person court appearances. Uh, the courts are implementing new changes pretty much every day, but we want to make sure that our clients know that we're going to be there. Uh, they can pick up a phone anytime, get a hold of an attorney. So what about you? How do you like the uh, in-person uh, court appearances right now when you're not allowed to do telephonic? Uh, I like the in-court uh, appearances. Right now, it's a little more stressful. Uh, pretty much the courts, the judges, the security, they're being pretty good about maintaining how many people are in the courtroom, how do we separate them, how do they give documents back and forth to the judges. I think they're being as careful as they can possibly be. Uh, we prefer to do the telephonic, but sometimes that becomes cumbersome as you get a bigger calendar. Yeah. And I'm personally just neurotic, so I like the telephonic anyways, because if I can keep my distance, I definitely will. Um, so as we said, we're going to jump in and start discussing the five top things uh, that we see landlords make mistakes on, how that's to be handled here in COVID. Um, before we do that, of course, you're going to have to step back. We've done previous co podcasts before talking about the CARES Act, talking about Governor Ducey's executive order as well on evictions, and we're going to discuss those. Um, but it's a good quick you know, reminder as well, if your property is in any way affected by a federal loan, federal insurance, if it's backed by the feds in any way, or you participate in a federal program, you just simply can't do evictions on non-payment of rent cases, right? Correct. But what we see is the managers calling us a, 
over and over again asking, well, can we do any type of eviction because of the CARES Act? And uh, there's still evictions going through, but we're really looking at the material noncompliances, especially if it's a serious noncompliance, such as an immediate for some type of uh, threatening, intimidating, drug activity, those kind of things. Okay, and so those can proceed, but under the CARES, if it's just a straightforward non-payment of rent and you have federal backing, you can't file the eviction, correct? Right, and that's something that really managers should look ahead of and try and figure out right now, what's the situation with your property? Does it apply to your property? So that you know when you do need to take action that it does or does not apply. All right, and then switching hands to all properties within the state are governed by Governor Ducey's executive order on evictions. And that allows evictions to proceed, correct? Yes. Yeah, so Governor Ducey's uh, executive order really doesn't have anything to do with the eviction part of it as, as far as the court, the judicial part. Uh, that's the executive branch. And what he's issued is an order with regards to the writ of restitution. And there may be a problem with getting the writ of restitution uh, executed. In other words, the constable or sheriff coming out to the property and physically removing the people uh, if they comply with the governor's order with regards to giving information to the landlord, uh, may require that we go into court and actually do a motion to compel under certain circumstances. Even though they may qualify, we may be able to get a motion to compel in certain situations, and those situations would normally be uh, non-compliances or where there's a physical uh, safety issue. All right, and so we'll talk about the differences between those two, but that is the general overview, is that for non-payments under the CARES Act, you can't proceed under other, all other properties in Arizona, the eviction is allowed to proceed, but potentially the writ may not issue. So with right. those, let's talk about the five common mistakes that we see from landlords. Right off the bat, obviously, notices. How are they served? What kind of mistakes do you see? Well, that seems to be the same mistakes that we've seen in the past. I, I guess it's a little bit worse right now during the COVID because the managers are getting a little more nervous about implementing a notice. In other words, do I send out a notice? How does that look? You know, sending out notices while the COVID's going on. Uh, do I know this tenant is impacted by COVID at this particular point? So do I not send it to them, but send it to everybody else? Um, and the big point here is, uh, just as we've said in the past, is you send out the notices. You got to make sure the notices are properly delivered. That's hand-delivered or certified mailed. Posting? No, can't just post and walk away. Uh <laughs> Hand-delivered to the door just does not look good to a judge. Uh, hand-delivered means to a person. So we want to make sure that our clients know that you're going to hand-deliver it to a person or you're going to certify mail it. Yeah, and for me, I think there's always a concern of the PR side of, well, I'm serving a notice during this epidemic. But to me, Governor Ducey's executive order, by saying all those processes continue, basically address the PR. You say, I'm following what the law allows if a person is affected they can address that at the st stage of the writ. It doesn't have to be at the notice stage. You're better off serving your notices. And I think you're correct also in terms of you serve it certified mail, you serve it hand-delivered, which is physically giving it to somebody. If you're not comfortable with that, especially for due to exposure to COVID-19 or just concerns of that or just interacting with your tenants, I know a lot of the process servers do, do that. We use AAA landlord services for that, for serving the notice. They have the measures. Their people have been trained to actually handle that process. So manager doesn't have to worry about it. Are there any other issues you see with the notices? That's really what we're seeing at this particular point. You know, someone gets nervous about how do I get that out? And like you said, process servers in the excellent position, they know how to do it. They can get the notice out right away, whether that be hand-delivered or certified mail. Uh, they're in a position because they're doing those day in, day out. Okay. Number two then, illegally taking possession back from tenants. What does that mean? 
<laughs> How does that happen? What kind of lawsuits do you see? Well, we often have problems with uh, landlords that will go in. Either they think the tenant is actually out of the property or they're just not following the correct procedure because they're not familiar with the procedure. Uh, generally, you know, the bigger clients, the apartment complexes, they're pretty familiar with the procedure, um, but they get a little bit more nervous when COVID comes into play on that because they don't know whether, hey, am I going to, you know, I'm worried about this situation. I haven't heard from anybody. I think maybe they abandoned the property. Should I go in the property? But now I'm worried about whether I go in the property. What measures do I take? Um, so what, what are things. the... What are the three ways you can legally get possession back from a resident? So you get possession back from a resident either by the constable turning over possession after you've gone through the judicial process of an eviction, or you go through the abandonment process uh, where basically you post a mail the abandonment notice, and then after the time period expires, five days, uh, then you change the locks. Um, the third way, of course, is the tenant returns possession, and in Arizona, that basically means they're returning the keys. There's some other ways of returning possession, but you'd really want to talk to your attorney uh, if it's not very specifically one of those three. Yeah, what I always see from managers is they say, oh, well, the resident emailed me on Friday saying, hey, I'm going to be out Monday. Monday comes, they don't hear anything, and the manager just wants to go in and take possession back. I'm always like, no, 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 that's promise that you're going to do something in the future from the resident. That doesn't mean anything. Whereas if the tenant actually turns in the keys or says, hey, I moved out yesterday, you can take possession back, that's different. That's something that previously happened. A promise to do something in the future means nothing from a legal perspective. So then you said, we have the abandonment, we have the eviction, and we have uh, ret tenant returning keys. So the eviction then is where Governor Ducey's order would come in, correct? Right, exactly. So if you get to that part of it where you're actually uh, ordering and then the constable is charged with executing the writ, at that point is when the tenant is supposed to provide the landlord with information why they should be, uh, the writ should be stayed or it shouldn't be executed until a later date uh, because of their situation. Okay. And so the landlord at that point, if they've gone through the whole point of serving the notice, going to court, getting a judgment, filing the writ, and then when the constable calls them, that's when the tenant gives documentation. What, what do they do with the documentation? Well, we're seeing both both ways. We're seeing some tenants are providing it to the court beforehand and providing it to us. And of course, we get it to the client. They're supposed to at some point get that information prior to the constable coming out. Um, and we have some clients that are like, well, should I even bother with the writ? And my answer is yes, you want to bother with the writ for a couple of reasons. Because if you issue the writ, even though it may not be executed, um, you don't have to worry about the 45-day period. Uh, every judgment has a 45-day period for the issuance of a writ. After the 45 days, you have to file a special motion why you waited 45 days to issue that writ. So by issuing the writ ahead of time, even if it's not executed, it's in the queue. And that's the second big thing is when it's in the queue, we assume if you waited till the end there, you're going to be 45 days or if we're waiting another 60 days or 90 days, whatever it is, uh, until such time as a constable will execute writs, you don't want to be at the end of that queue. You want to be in the front of the queue. And it goes back to that same thing is you're following the process all the way through. Unless you're under the CARES Act where you can't take those actions. If you're under Ducey's, you follow every single step until the constable says, I'm not going to execute that writ, correct? Correct. And circumstances change just because it's applicable at the time the constable comes out. doesn't mean the reasonable wait period is going to be another 90 days. That person may be reemployed. Uh, they may reopen schools. We don't know what's going to happen 
day to day, it's it's a different situation every single day. So you you have everything in place. You followed everything. You followed the rules. You've got your eviction. You have the writ of restitution out there for execution. You're ready to go if something changes. Yeah, and it should be noted, I guess, stimulus checks came out this week, $1,200 per person, uh, also $500 uh, if you have kids as well. So people will receive that money. Theoretically, they should be using that money on rent. You cross your fingers if you're a landlord that that happens. All right, number three uh, common mistake is improperly handling the move-out inspection, improperly handling the accounting. What in, in the general world, step back from COVID for a second, what's a landlord supposed to do? So generally what you have is your tenant moves out. At that point, you're required within 14 days to do the security deposit accounting. So you want to get in there as soon as possible, at least in the past, get into the property as soon as possible to document the condition of the property. Hopefully you properly documented the condition of the property on move in. Uh, I always say pictures in, pictures out, or video in, video out. You want to be very detailed in those pictures and documenting the property on both the entry of the tenant and the exit of the tenant. Yeah, I've seen that with judges. I mean, in this world where everybody's got a camera on them at all times, there's no justification standing in front of a judge and say, oh, I forgot to take pictures of that unit. Oh, they damaged it, but I don't have the pictures to show it. Right. And now in COVID, it's a little bit different because you used to have the uh, landlord at the door kind of scratching at the door just to get in because you want to see the condition of the property. You want to get, you know, renovating the property. You want to redecorate. You want to get it, you know, back out there on the market as soon as possible. Well, now with COVID, it's a little bit different. We have a delay there. Yeah. And I think a lot of clients are asking me that is what if I don't want to go in? Because I mean, on a lot of materials, for example, like plastic, cloth, that COVID can exist for a couple of days after that. So I know a lot of clients are shifting and saying, you know what, we're getting possession on day one, or maybe we'll call that day zero. We're going to wait three days and there's less of a risk of exposure to COVID. And then we're going to do the inspection on day three. And I think that's perfectly fine because you have that 14 day window to do the disposition, send out the accounting, send out any return check. Doesn't mean you have to start on day one, correct? Right. Yeah. I think it's completely reasonable. Everybody's going to understand the fact that you're going to put a three-day waiting period in there. And, uh, you know, you're going to also have issues like a walkthrough with the tenant. How do you handle those? How do you maintain the social distancing? You know, what do you bring with you as far as you bring a protective mask? Probably a good idea. Do you bring some wipes with you so that you're not touching services with them if you have to do the walkthrough with the tenant? Yeah, and I think that's the critical understanding is even while we have COVID-19 going on, the Landlord-Tenant Act still exists, right? Which means the tenant has a right to be there at an inspection, unless it's in the case of an immediate where they don't, you know, you have a fear of that person. Um, And you have to send out your deposit accounting within the 14 business days of the tenant giving you possession. Right. Nothing has changed in the law, but what we're changing really is how we operate. In other words, how do we do that inspection? How do we do that accounting? Uh, Same thing all the managers are dealing with right now. How do we collect rent? How do we do these things? How do we perform the that, the functions that we're going to perform as property managers. All right. So if the check or the accounting needs to be sent out in 14 business days of getting possession, is that does that get extended then? No, there's no extension on that. And, uh, you know, it always works out basically to three weeks because it's the business days. And, uh, of course, you could have a holiday in there. So it's plenty of time, really, unless you're dealing with a really trashed out unit. You still have plenty of time, even if you're putting that three-day period in the front end of that, I think you got plenty of time. You just want to make sure, okay, we've waited the three days. We've cured our, our anxiety with regards to COVID lasting for the three days on surfaces. We're probably going to go in there and have it cleaned. 
Uh, also brings up the idea of, you know, your independent contractors, because it's a good place to use independent contractors at this point where, you know, you don't want to subject your people or yourself to COVID. Uh, you can utilize uh, independent contractor. We talked about process servers or independent contractors. They know what they're doing. They know how to handle notices, for example. You may have the same situation you want to bring in. Normally you do the cleaning or you have a crew for cleaning uh, on board, but they're on leave or something like that. There's independent contractors that will do that. Yeah. And even so, if there were, if a manager's working remotely, they still have to do all of those things, manage the job within that time frame, regardless of what's going on. Yeah. I would say right now at court, about half the people, uh, tenants are complaining that managers are not in their offices. They're not responding. They can't get in to pay the rent or, you know, make a complaint regarding repairs, those kind of things. Now, a lot of them have portals and you know those are just yeah. i'm always a little <laughs> suspect whenever they come well, i can't right. pay the rent i'm like well you have an online portal you can go in and do it i mean it's not that hard that does bring us to number four though is how managers should be handling tenant requests and requests for repairs right now what's the general process you know if a tenant serves a five-day health and safety or a 10-day health and safety what a manager should be doing so that really hasn't changed like i said you're changing your operation uh, again getting back to the end of independent contractors, you're going to utilize those more, especially on specific items. Maybe it's a plumbing issue. You don't really have someone very qualified for doing that. Um, you don't want to go in and actually see what the situation is. You want to send an independent contractor, but you still have the same obligations. If it's a five day for health and safety, you need to be in there within five days. Um, and if they're giving you the notice, then you have uh, permission to enter. You want to get in, you want to get your uh, contractor in there. I think that's an excellent point. I, I do want to stop there for a second and highlight that because a lot of managers don't realize that is everyone's so trained, which I love from the, the attorney side is you have to serve a t uh, two day notice to get in. You have to serve a two day notice before you can enter. But if a tenant is serving the landlord notice saying, Hey, I've got a problem in my unit, please come fix it. That notice to the landlord is actually permission to then go in. Correct? Right. So you want to work you know, you want to work diligently to get whatever the notice is either documented because sometimes people give you notices that really are either their fault, they created the problem, there's a toy stuck in the toilet, that's why it's not flushing, um, or, you know, there's some other issue happening there that's a little bit, you know, needs some more specific. Yeah, and we are advising clients, though, for non-essentials, there's less work necessarily, there's less emergency issues. But if there's a leak in there, um, if there's actual problems with the unit, the landlord needs to go in there and get it fixed as soon as possible. All right, so turning to number five, our last common mistake, which is probably a podcast, three podcasts on its own, if you will, is fair housing. The consistency, fair housing oh, is the overarching issue for all landlord-tenant matters. We constantly train clients and remind them of consistency, consistency, consistency. That's in their all of their processes from application to all the way through the move out. How do you see that impacting with COVID? Well, and that's, that's the problem. COVID now has caused the inconsistencies because people hesitate to take action. They don't really know, okay, what do I do? Because I have this outside factor. COVID is an outside factor that I normally don't deal with. So now, like I said before, maybe we're dealing with notices. Uh, what about partial payments? Partial payments, you know, uh, the governor's executive order, for example, and all the way up to the president have talked about working with people, making deals, those kind of things. Well, how do you implement that? Do we just simply, you know, do it one-on-one -on -one with each individual person? We look at what their income is. No, we don't, we don't really want to do that. That would be a nightmare. That. <laughs> that would be a nightmare. Yeah, for so, a lot of clients that have never done partial payment agreements before, they may just have simply a policy against it. 
determine in writing what they want their new policy for partial payments to be. If you want to accept half now and then half at the end of the month, apply that to everybody so they have to all hit that same standard. You're not looking at every single different person's paycheck and saying, I'll do this with you, but a different standard with that. Because after all of COVID-19 is done and we kind of get back on solid footing, if that happens, there's a ton of fair housing complaints that'll be happen, which is you treated him better than you treated her or vice versa is to all of the seven protected classes. How do you see managers or what do you suggest in terms of virtual tours? Uh, we've always had problems with virtual tours. Uh, they're a high percentage risk because uh, we see a lot of litigation afterwards. Uh, when we had virtual tours, someone moving here from New York, for example, they'd take a virtual tour and then they would get here. Sometimes they'd stay a couple of weeks or a month and then they would say, well, you misrepresented the virtual tour. And I think that we're back to the fair housing issue, which is being consistent. How do you provide the information? Are you providing consistent information uh, with the virtual tour? Is the virtual tour really representative of what the property is that you're showing? Um, did you do a virtual tour of a uh, model, but everybody thought you were virtually touring the actual unit. Um, those are important things. So you should have some guidelines on your virtual tour so that yeah, you the, cover the same things. Make sure everybody. you go through that as exact same step. You show the same amenities in the same order, give it to the person. Cause you really have two issues, right? Like what you're talking about, which is, was the property portrayed po properly as well as the fair housing, which is did every single person get that same information and in an equal and consistent order. So you have both of those to worry about. I see more and more of the market going to virtual tours right now because obviously managers are employing social distancing and you know people don't want to be on, on property as well. So you basically have to set up what your tour is going to look like, even though it's virtual, correct? Right, yeah. I mean, do a little bit of planning and talk with people in the you know, upper-ups, uh, in the management that are going to help you with regards to, because they can match that to what the marketing is for the property. So you're matching the marketing to the product. Uh, you're going to give that virtual tour. You're going to, as you said, be consistent in what you're explaining as far as amenities. And you have that all pre-programmed out. Uh, the virtual tours are, you know, the way it's going to happen, uh, especially for the next few months. And uh, you just have to get used to that and having a plan for that and having your outline for that before you start each one, I think, is the best route. Yeah, well, I think you said it excellent. I mean, we're talking about the five things here today, obviously. The laws, besides the CARES Act and DUCES, those change things. But the Landlord-Tenant Act hasn't changed. And it's really the operation that managers need to be aware about, how things are affected by COVID-19 to the things they've always been doing. So we will continue to keep our clients updated as often as things are changing right now. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again on the next Zona Law podcast.